Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. Another win for Manchester United, four on the bounce now, three in the league. And in dramatic style at Southampton as they came back from 2-0 down to claim a famous 3-2 victory, largely thanks to Edinson Cavani. Uh, And we're here to discuss that, of course, and then look ahead to the PSG game in the Champions League in midweek. I'm joined by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello. Hello, and hello to Tyrone Marshall. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, both. So, a great day, really, for United at, at St Mary's, Samuel. It didn't look like it was going to be that way for a long time, but the value of, of Edison Cavani has, has showed itself in, in the space of 45 minutes, really. Yeah, I think from a, the, the annoying thing from a, a journalistic perspective was that as soon as Fernandes scored to make it 2-1, I just thought United would win that game. And I was pretty confident at half-time they'd get something out of the game. And of course, you know, you wait and wait and wait and the goal eventually arrives in the 92nd minute. But even in the 90th minute, 91st minute at 2-2, it, it still felt like it was coming. I, I didn't actually think Southampton played very well at all. Uh, speaking to Simon Peach, who was also at the game and was also a Southampton fan and was also very amusingly uh, dug out by myself <laughs> during, during the Zoom call in a very light-hearted way uh, at his at his disappointing tone, uh, said to me, on the, speaking on coming out of the ground, that, um, that, that Southampton just weren't at it. And it, it did feel that way, apart from maybe a 10 or 15-minute spell in the first half, where just because of James Ward-Prowse's uh, sniper-like accuracy, they somehow took a 2-0 lead. But it was really a classic United winning in a lot of cases and that they made it needlessly difficult for themselves but that feeling of winning it in the manner that they did is one of the best feelings in sport and it's just a shame that games like this can be won like that um, in front of no supporters but as you said just the impact of Cavani was was immense and uh, I just thought at half time and it's happened so often that a bunch of players will warm up at half time and Solskjaer won't make a change and he'll delay it until the hour mark in the game but on this occasion of course there were actually two substitutions and taking Greenwood off was a very proactive and bold move but a decisive one I mean I didn't think Greenwood was especially good but he had goal scoring opportunities he wasn't I think the way Solskjaer seems to judge strikers which I think is a fair way of judging them is that if, if they're getting the chances, that doesn't. He's not really worried if they're not always putting them away. It's if they're not getting chances that there's a worry. And Greenwood had a couple of openings, but just the expertise of Cavani was. It, it made such a. It was just transformative. And as, as Shearer said on much the day too, as 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 much um, as as well placed as Rashford and Greenwood what might be playing centrally going forward, neither of them are what you would consider to be. Uh, specialist number nines and Cavani is very much that I mean he might as well swap numbers with uh, squad numbers with Martial because I think a lot of people would agree that Martial is better from the wing even though he had a very good season last season up top and Cavani is just an out and out striker and just from a purist perspective it's quite heartening that strikers like him Kane Lewandowski Haaland this year uh, they've shown that this nonsense debate about the number nine dead is is anything but yeah it does seem to be coming back into the game and it's interesting that United obviously Ibrahimovic another one Ibrahimovic what he's doing at Milan it's 
yeah, and United pretty, have had a lot of number nines uh, in recent years that have been successful too. But then they obviously ditched one, ditched one, and and went for for Martial and, and the movement of Rashford and Greenwood. And looking back on that uh, Romelu Lukaku sale, uh, Tyrone, was it a mistake for United not to, well, a to sell him and probably b more not to replace him? until now, really, with Cavani. Is that showing itself, or, or do you think it was justified at the time? I think it was probably a mistake not to replace him. And the fact, and the fact they went for Odi Nogalo in January probably showed that, that that was an acceptance that they needed a, a striker and a focal point that could at least offer something off the bench. Um, I think selling Lukaku was, was probably the right decision. I mean, he just didn't seem to fit Solskjaer's system and philosophy. And it, I mean, he's done incredibly well at Inter Milan, but he is playing for the perfect manager there and Antonio Conte, who's, who's tried to sign him in just about every job he's had. So, you know, Lukaku's numbers are always going to be high in a, in a Conte team. They, they probably wouldn't have been as high in a Solskjaer team. So, Cavani is probably the better option. I mean, his movement is is absolutely sensational. It was noticeable yesterday that Solskjaer and Maguire touched on that post-match, especially Maguire. Maguire is really interested on how difficult he is to, to defend against and how much centre-halves hate that sort of movement. So, he certainly makes a difference. And I think you know, the, the fluid front three has worked fairly well at times. And, you know, Martial, Greenwood and Rashford scored 60-odd goals last season. So, you know, their numbers were sensational. Martial got a lot and has had some, some superb games as centre-forward. So, they do work well. But I think United do need a, a focal point and a natural number nine as well. We've seen that those three all probably like to drop deep or, or move out to the wings. And there can be a lack of a, a centre-forward at times. Soskar said yesterday that Cavani plays between the posts, which is is what he likes. And, and that's where your goals are going to come from. And and that's what he does that perhaps United's other strikers don't. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly made quite the impact. And he probably is the, the type of option, at least, that United have been missing over the past 12 to 18 months. Is it too quickly then, Samuel, to to turn this round on its head? And a lot of us were were questioning the Cavani edition on, on deadline day. It didn't smack of long term planning from United. We thought it was a a bit of a panic edition after they didn't get Jaden Sancho and, and others. Is it too late to, to quickly change our minds on that, or, or does Cavani have to do a little bit more? I, I think you can kind of keep your opinion, but it's it's the context of it. I think what took people aback by the Cavani deal was that United had given us this spiel about preferring players aged between 23 and 28 and then they signed a 33-year-old on deadline day and Gary Neville said it at the time like he, he, it just screamed Falcao to him and it screamed Falcao to me um, they'd always also said about being reluctant to pay um, you know high agents fees as well now I can imagine that Cavani's agent is on you know earned a fair bit of commission from a free transfer that was eventually concluded on deadline day as well. So I think it was more the manner of it. And of course, the player hadn't played since March. He was 33. I've I've just generally always been a Cavani sceptic because I think for a player of his talent, he spent far too long uh, in Liga. He should have been playing in Spain or England earlier. Um, he was a brilliant striker at Napoli. But even at Napoli, there were games, the one against Chelsea in the Champions League in 2012 springs to mind where Napoli won the first leg 3-1 at home. And I think they scored twice in the return leg, but they still went out because Cavani fluffed some some pretty guilt-edged chances in that game. And of course, during his time at PSG, 
that that mental block that they were until last season anyway un, unable to overcome in terms of getting to a, the semi-final stages of the Champions League. But you just look at his record, and there's a, there was obvious merit in bringing him in. And United, um, you know, gave us uh, a very uh, club-heavy spin on why they'd gone for him, and they did accept that it was a pragmatic move, it was a short-term move, but they do remain committed to long-term additions. But clearly, at some stage last season, Solskjaer realised that you can't really get away with just making youthful recruits and having a team full of teenagers to mid-20 players. You do need some 30-somethings in there. And look, he's you look at the outgoings on his watch, certainly the permanent departures, I think all of them have been players in their 30s or close to being in their 30s. And that goes to, for some of the loanies as well. So there was clearly a targeting of older players. But as Matic has shown, um, as, as De Gea has shown a couple of times this season as well, and uh, Juan Mata as well, there is merit in having 30-something players um, at certain occasions. And I think one of the main reasons why they lost to Sevilla in the Europa League semi-final was that Matic was on the bench, which was a surprise at the time. And you just saw with Cavani yesterday, the, apart from you know not getting his boots on in time, his timing was exemplary with everything he did. And even the frustration of Rashford not squaring it to him or his shot being deflected wide or his header just going wide from the Wan-Bissaka cross. He, he channeled all that frustration into taking uh, the chances that he did take. And I think the, the equalising goal is a great case in point in that Fernandes's shot is deflected. He's got a split second to react, not just to the shot, but the deflection. Yet he somehow manages to adjust his body and place the header perfectly past McCarthy. Uh, so, you know, so far, so good, really. I think... Also, I think Solskjaer's just in his element in terms of coaching strikers and handling them. The way he spoke about Cavani yesterday was very effusive and he's not really spoken that glowingly about a player um, that specifically before, I don't think. like Some of the, the grammar he used was, was, quite, was quite beautiful at times. Uh, you know, what he said about Ferguson saying the striker's best friend in the penalty area is space and um, sound bites like that. So it, he had a great week, Cavani. I thought he was brilliant in the midweek game against Basak Sahir. And the the test was always going to be can he transmit that form to the Premier League? And he, he well and truly did that against Southampton. Absolutely, yeah. I guess the only uh, the only doubt at the moment at this point we should probably say is that FA probe that is hanging over Cavani after. Um, his Instagram post uh, following the game. You, you can read about that on the Manchester Evening News at the moment. We await to see uh, if any charge will be brought on that. But um, Samuel just uh, hit on the midfield a little bit there, Tyrone. I thought mm. it functioned well um, against Southampton. Had about 10 minutes um, either side of half-time or maybe 20 minutes where it, it seemed to be completely overrun. But other than that, the balance that Solskjaer hit on in there with with Matic and Fred uh, and then Van der Beek as well, seemed to seem to work really well. Yeah, it did. And I think it's, I think <clears throat> Samuel mentioned Cavani having a good week. I think Van der Beek's had a really good week too. And it's noticeable, not only have United scored seven goals this week, they've created a lot of chances in, in both of those games. And we've spoken about the balance of that midfield a lot this season to the point of, of boredom really. But it, it is something that it feels kind of like United have been searching for. Fred and McTominay is, a very good sort of double pivot at shielding the defence and giving them more protection, but not when it comes to sort of creating chances. And 
and taking the burden off Fernandez and, and putting Van der Beek in one of those deeper roles has just been you know, revelatory, really, when it comes to United's progression of their play. His forward passing, his passing into the feet of the forwards and Fernandez has been superb and he's made United look a lot more dangerous and a lot more, a lot quicker team. So, Van der Beek's had a great week. It's interesting to see now how sort of Sarsgaard goes going forward with selections because suddenly he's got a lot of options there with Cavani at centre-forward. Who do you play wide? How do you how do you format that midfield? Because Matic did make a difference coming in yesterday, but it didn't feel like the diamond particularly worked brilliantly um, again. So it, it's tricky to know for Solskjaer. I mean, at least he's got options considering how, how tough the schedule is. But fitting his best players into the team at the moment is is quite a headache, which I guess as a manager is is what you want, really. So, so that's going to be a huge bonus for him. But it certainly feels to me like Van der Beek needs to try and be in that team at the moment with Fernandes in, in one way or another because he's he's made a big difference this week and these have probably been United's maybe bar Leipzig although that was a, a late flurry perhaps United's best attacking performances have, have come this week and just touch on something you mentioned there Dom you mentioned that they had that kind of span in the first half where suddenly they got overrun and I think we both touched on it on Twitter or, or in the, our match day blog that it feels like when United concede at the moment they have a habit of, of letting their heads drop and potentially letting one become two and, and they have a spell where they just take too long to kind of clear their senses really which is what it feels like in games and it felt like they dominated the start of that game went one nil down and then suddenly something on the front foot and United didn't know how to respond and it does feel like that in games yet bizarrely they've won four away Premier League games this year and have gone behind it all and have come back to win them which kind of yeah they have got some of, character just not, have, not yeah. always at the right time yeah so anyway, it points to what you see and points to a lack of resilience and character, and then the results point to lots of resilience and character. So probably sums up that this team is still a bit of a, a contradiction in some departments. And, and it was noticeable that Southampton's only real spell in the game came when United went behind against the run of play and, and took too long to respond. So that's perhaps something to work on. But but generally, yeah, they were they were the better team for probably seventy five minutes of that game. Yeah, and I think you're right, Ty, about Van der Beek. The way that the way that Van der Beek plays, not just from a technical point of view, from a mental point of view, he seems to have the the work rate and the determination um, that maybe sometimes Paul Pogba is accused of, of not been having. Hmm. Do you do you see this, Samuel, as a bit of a changing of the guard with, with Van der Beek? He's, he's making himself a little bit undroppable at the moment, and really, it's how you're getting him in the team rather than whether you play him or not, isn't it? Absolutely. I think even last season when United's form was variable, to say the least, in the first five or six months, I don't think fans were coming away from games irrespective of how they played, uh, lamenting the absence of Pogba or saying we could have done with Pogba today. I think one of the best things about United at the moment, given that they're on a four-game winning run, is that they've done it without Pogba and they don't miss Pogba. And all they've just got to do now is not do anything silly, not offer him a new contract, which he doesn't deserve, not make another daft contract decision. It's just sell him next summer, give him what he wants, give him what give what the majority of United fans seem to want as well, which is a United squad devoid of Pogba. It's just not worked out. There has to be an acceptance there. And I think um, privately there is an acceptance of that. And... It just so happens United have already offset his departure by signing Fernandes and Van der Beek. Uh, I mean, I thought maybe given the time Van der Beek was giving was being given to adjust, he might truly thrive after Pogba had left the club. But he did have a really good week. He he was good in in both games against Basak Sahir and Southampton. 
uh, he's not afraid to uh, voice his opinion to the referee as well, which I think is can be an underrated quality in a lot of players. And United are developing. They do seem to have more players in the squad who are not shy of telling the referee what he should be doing, which has been a problem in the past. They've just not been vocal enough. And at these behind doors claim behind uh, games behind closed doors, you you do gauge it more. So it, it is a little bit peculiar that you still get some of the former players uh, saying that there aren't enough leaders when I think they've got half a point. But there are clearly some players who are taking on that mantle now. And I don't think Van der Beek is is, is anywhere near that the status of someone like. Harry Maguire or, or Fernandez just yet but it, it is as you said about a way of finding of, of getting him into that team the PSG game on Wednesday I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out of the team purely because McTominay might not be fit um, you're coming up against a team that have got two of the best players in the world it's one of those games where you wouldn't be surprised if Solskjaer reverts to a back three as well even though there's the problem of Tunzibi being suspended. Fernandez has to start, of course. Fred is undroppable at the moment. If if McTominay is fit, you'd think McTominay would come in. If he's not fit, then maybe it's it's, it's probably going to be Matic who uh, sits in there with Fred if they do go with a back three. So there, there are a lot of variables as to how United will line up in that game on Wednesday. And it will be fascinating to see whether Solskjaer does go with a back three that has served him pretty well um, in games against the elite over the last year or also or whether he does you know go go on the attack because United are at Old Trafford because they are a point away from qualifying for the Champions League and I think if you'd go on the attack at the moment you have to somehow accommodate Van der Beek in that in that formation yeah and, and certainly PSG showed in in Paris earlier this season they have those defensive uh, vulnerabilities that United could exploit so that's an interesting point on the how they will line up there we'll come on to the PSG game in depth a little bit uh, late, but I guess you hit on a point there, uh, Samuel, in terms of who who is undroppable at the moment, who uh, Solskjaer has to pick. It's becoming increasingly clear that maybe David De Gea isn't among uh, those players. Uh, Ty, I'll get you, get you on this one first. Obviously, mm. De Gea came off with a, an injury at half-time against Southampton, <sighs> didn't cover himself in glory in that first half, and then Dean Henderson came on and and did well without really being forced into an amazing save. But Solskjaer seemed to suggest afterwards that that he's got a big decision to make now. This is this is this is the point that we've been waiting for, really, on the Henderson and, and De Gea debate. Yeah, it is. I mean, I didn't. Uh, De Gea was probably a. I mean, Roy Keane was a bit critical of him for for the free kick goal. I, I think he'd be more critical of him for the Istanbul free kick than the Southampton one. I mean, it was that side of the wall. It was right in the corner. It was it was a difficult one for a goalkeeper to save. Um, I'm not sure he was he was too at fault for for either of those goals yesterday, really. But th- there was always going to come a point, I guess, where um, Henderson was going to going to have his chance, and it might well be that that's coming now if if De Gea is out for any length of time. I mean, it's a bit of a strange one that that you know Solskjaer's suggesting he's got a decision to make. It, it seems to me that he made his decision in midweek when he picked De Gea for Istanbul Basak Zahir when he just had to start Dean Henderson in that game. I, I just don't know why he didn't start. Henderson. Um, it was obviously a knock-on from the fact they lost in Istanbul, but goalkeeper is probably the one position where you can bring in the number two without much of a drop-off. So it, it seemed a strange one, and I imagine it would have frustrated Henderson greatly. So um, it will be intriguing to see where he goes with it. I don't think De Gea has made any mistakes this year that have been on the 
that the level that he was making for the previous 18 months, as we said a few times, he seems to have risen to the challenge that, that Henderson has put down. But Henderson was assured yesterday his, his handling was pretty good. I think he had two early shots to deal with that, that bounced in front of him that he could have easily spilled, but he held them comfortably. And he does just look an assured goalkeeper when he plays. So it'd be interesting to see when De Gea's, if De Gea's fit on Wednesday and, and, and if not, sort of how long he's out for. If Henderson gets a run, if De Gea comes straight back in the team when he's fit, then you've got to think Henderson's going to be thinking about his, his future here. I, I know that post-match on Tuesday, I think it was, um, Sosko was saying it's not his job to keep players happy, but I mean, it is really, in a way, his job to keep players <laughs> happy. And you've got, you've got two goalkeepers at that level. And the reality is they're not going to hang around forever waiting for their chances. So if you want to keep them both in the building for as long as possible, you've got to give the number two games where you can. And Istanbul Basaksehir here at home seemed a very obvious choice for Henderson to play. And if he's not playing in those sort of games, then I think he'd be entirely within his rights. Considering he turns 24 in March, he'd be looking at the end of the season and thinking, I'm not sure it's going to happen for me here, given that is only 30 as well. So he will, yeah. hope, he will hope that injuries present him a chance to, to make a run. Because if not, I, I wouldn't blame him for, for looking elsewhere come the summer. Yeah, I think I would change that Solskjaer quote to that say he should look after good players, keep good players happy. Yes, yes, And United definitely. certainly have two yes. two good goalkeepers. Uh, if um, Henderson does start against PSG, uh, Samuel, is that is that then a chance for him to to lay a claim and another good performance could could spell not the end for De Gea but could spell trouble for De Gea if, if Henderson does get another chance? Yeah, of course, I. I... I certainly think that the time has come for him to, to start. I'd have started the season with Henderson and Solskjaer's quite fortunate in a way in that he, I, I didn't agree with De Gea starting against Basatsa here. I thought that was you know, ropey man management to say the least. It was one of those games that United could have put Richard Harsis in goal and they'd have, they'd have still won it. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately for De Gea, he, um, he was culpable for the, the Basak's here goal in that game. I think it was pretty obviously expected a right footer to take the free kick and it was a left footer and he was caught out there. Ward Prowse is just about the best free kick taker in the league, possibly. And there was a feeling of inevitability when he stepped up that there was only one place that was going. But the fact that De Gea did get across, did get a big hand to it and didn't keep it out. I thought it was savable and, and he was culpable for that as well. The yeah, first one just didn't ref- the first one just didn't reflect well on him because it came from inside his six yard area. But I don't think there was too much he could have dealt with it. I think if you maybe Peter Schmeichel in, in his in his heyday, maybe he'd have come and claimed for that. But I think it would have been a bit harsh to pin that one on him. But the fact that he got injured um and he'd made a certainly one mistake uh, and had to come off and Henson came on really did Solskjaer a favour because it was difficult to pinpoint when Henderson was going to get game time between now and the Everton League Cup game on, I think that's the 23rd of December, just two days before Christmas, unless, of course, United had qualified with the PSG by getting a point against PSG, and in which case you think, well, Henderson will play against Leipzig, even though the group won't have been won by that stage. So even, in a, even with the negative of De Gea, Getting an getting an injury, it's it's turned out to be a positive because Henderson did get that league debut for United. He was faultless. He didn't have a lot to do, but what I was impressed by him was that his his personality was just just stood out. Really, he was cajoling players. The fact that it was his league debut, I mean, he was 
we know how cocksure he is. I don't think the fact that he was making his first Premier League appearance for United was ever going to, you know, make make Henderson quiet in that situation. But when they made it two two, he was demanding that they go for a winner. Um, he sounded like United goalkeeper. He acted like United goalkeeper. And he's not done anything wrong when he has played this season. I thought he made great saves at 1-0 in the two Carabao Cup games that United went on to win 3-0. He was pretty blameless in Istanbul. I mean, it wasn't his fault that United allocated two-thirds of the pitch to Denver Bar. And I just think that it's it's time, really. I think De Gea, you know, he, he, has, he has made some key contributions this season. He last... I can't remember what game it was recently. Sorry, the West Brom game, big save at nil nil. Newcastle away, big save at one one. Um, he was he was probably the best player against West Brom, but this the week just gone. It just it's just an indication of how drastically things can change in a week for a player where you make a couple of mistakes and you, you, your place is on the on the line again. But Solskjaer has been extremely loyal to De Gea, and I suppose the the benefit United have with Henderson is that he is on such a long contract that it's difficult to, you know, it's difficult to pinpoint which club would be paying. You're talking about probably 50 million pounds for a goal for, for Henderson um, to sign him. I, I just don't see anybody paying that kind of money. Um, yeah. Especially in a, in whether we've had a, a pandemic this year, but I think that's ballpark figure. That's roughly how, how much Henderson would cost a club. Yeah, and we're not in the, the the days of the hair and the Real Madrid in, interest and the fail fax machine either. I personally think that the hair has been living a little bit of a charmed life since the the end of Solskjaer's first season in charge, when he he probably should have been dropped for those games against Huddersfield and Cardiff at the end of the season. Um, yeah, Mar- yeah, Romero lurking, but but he wasn't. Um, in terms of PSG, then how how do you think United will set up uh, Ty? Samuel hinted three at the back, maybe. Maybe they don't have the centre-backs to do that at the moment. Luke Shaw out as well. Um, could be back to a more conventional 4-2-3-1, perhaps. How, how do you see it? Yeah, possibly back, Possibly that more conventional midfield, I think. I think the back three, like you say, Luke Shaw is quite an integral part of that um, that back three, it feels. So, so maybe that's kind of a decisive moment for Solskjaer in, in regards to that. And he knows they can be a bit more aggressive and, and try and get get the three points here and I think that would seal top spot in the group as well and, and allow them to rest players going into the final game so um, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see a, a back four but perhaps a more cautious midfield and um, maybe one of only one of Van der Beek or Fernandez starting and perhaps Fred and, and Matic in the two deeper roles um, I think we've said previously that it feels like you need to make changes in, in midweek games at the moment there was only two last week that there probably won't be loads again given the quality of the opposition but it does feel, at least in attacking areas now, that, that Solskjaer has got options to rotate. Obviously, Cavani only played 45 minutes in midweek, so he can probably start. Um, we don't know how Martial's fitness is, but Greenwood only played 45 minutes as well. Excuse me, there's, there's certainly options there for for, for attacking roles and, and keeping players fresh for um, for that title challenge after Christmas. So there's um, there's plenty of options there for, for Solskjaer. I, I think it'll be a back four. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a few changes in, in midfield and attack and, and just want to rest players and, and get players through this busy period up to Christmas. Yeah, I, I wonder if Edinson Cavani might not actually start because because of the West Ham game that's coming up. West mm. Ham are, are such a, a, a presence in the air both, in both boxes. It seems like that one is more for Cavani than the PSG one where United might 
play on the break with some pace and maybe one for Rashford and Greenwood and Martial if he's okay uh, to play in. How do, how do you see it, Samuel? It's a difficult one to call and Solskjaer's injury bulletin on Tuesday will be of no help whatsoever because no. <laughs> when when he says someone's out, they tend to play, which was probably why the uh, the club website had McTominay in their lineup on the website on on Saturday, even though he wasn't even in Southampton. But so it is diff- everyone there. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but I, I, as as Ty said, I think the 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 probable absence of Shaw, um, and and the suspension of Two and Z, I don't think you, you can really justify playing a back three because. I know Sarsgaard said by his back, but what 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 does that even mean, really? He's he's so brittle and breaks down at, at, at any any point that I don't think you can trust him in a game like this. And I think we all remember just how dismal he was at right back against PSG um, in in the comeback game nearly two years ago. Um, yeah, Ro- I don't think Rojo's in the Champions League squad anyway, and I'm not even suggesting he should be anywhere near <laughs> any squad. Uh, and then you're looking at Ted and Mengi because Phil Jones is, of course, still injured. And he, again, he's not even in the Champions League squad either. So even if Solskjaer was absolutely adamant or insisting on playing a back three and Bayer wasn't quite fully fit, he wouldn't be able to play Rojo and he would be having to look at Ted and Mengi. I, I just don't see him doing that. I suppose the only alternative would be someone like Wambasaka playing. Um, in a back three because I just don't really rate him as as an attacking uh, wing back and I think he played extremely well in Paris I think his performance actually rivaled to Nzibis but it's because he was so so good defensively and you know I think as a lot of pundits have said and defenders who were, were experts at defending have said one-on-one he's one of the best in the world when it comes to defending so I don't think it would necessarily be a bad call playing him in a back three, and maybe that means Brandon Williams playing as wing back, but that's a huge ask for Williams, given that uh, I don't think he's started a game since the Brighton League Cup game, which was in late September. It's probably two months ago today. That uh, so there are a lot of variables, but I, I I genuinely think, given United's form at the moment, given the frailties and that PSG defence, they can. Uh, justify going with a back four in this game and trying to take the game to PSG a little bit more. Yeah, I think as long as they have those uh, slightly more defensive midfield options in front of the back four rather than what, what we saw against Bazak Zahir with um, Fred and van der Beek, I think yeah. that, that will probably be the, the way they will go. Uh, go on then, prediction times before we uh, before we, we break off uh, for this podcast. United potentially make it five wins on the bounce. Do you see that? Uh, go on, I'll go with Ty first. I'll save some. Ah, oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's doable. I don't think, although they're in the Champions League final not so long ago, I don't think PSG are, are much of a team this year. They they look to be second best against Leipzig at home last week. They're under a fair bit of pressure to to get out the group. They only drew at home with Bordeaux. Excuse me at the weekend. So. They're not a team at the moment that, that strike fear into the the heart of anyone. United seem to have the wall over them in in recent performances. So although this is at home um, and those wins have been away, I, I can see United repeating the trick again. I think it'll be tight, um, but I'll go with two one to United. Yeah, two one to United, but bold, but makes a lot of sense from from Ty. We we've seen the same optimism from you, Samuel. I do. Yeah, I, I, I'll. I'll 
submit my my team sheet prediction uh, on, on Wednesday pre-team night as sheet, well. Yeah. So think, yeah, yeah, this is the pre-team sheet uh, prediction. But uh, no, I'd, I'd probably go with 2-1 as well. As, as Ty, Ty said, I don't think PSG have that fear factor that they used to, even though they've still got Neymar and, and Mbappe. I mean, those two players, I think there's every chance at least one of them will go next year. They've, they're both on the same length of contract as well. And that's becoming a bit of an issue with PSG because I think they've only got 18 months left on their on their deals. But when you saw that PSG defence that United were coming up against in uh, September or October, I'm struggling to think now. It's, it's difficult October because it's late this season, but it was October, yeah. Um, it, it was just there for the taking. And Solskjaer, his, his tactics, his game management, everything that night was just about as perfect as as it could be so it is one of those games where you'd like to see United maybe go on the attack a bit more against PSG there's no as I said I don't look at that PSG side and seeing many intimidating players anymore um it's I think it's come to the end of the line for that group of players with losing the Champions League final to Bayern Munich as well Thiago Silva obviously left in the summer and a few more players have, have come through who aren't of as great repute and even at the weekend they had Sergio Rico in goal who certainly the last I saw him at a game was you know just completely neglecting his near post and letting Paul Pogba score um, whilst whilst Fulham were going going down so it's, it's strange how it works out that way and of course they've got Moyes Keane in attack as well who uh, was just a disaster at, at Everton so as I said I think United have got all the, the attributes to, to win very well and if they do that, it allows Solskjaer to rest players in, in Leipzig. Exactly, yeah. And he'll have the uh, the luxury of five substitutes, obviously, in Europe as well. So if United can get into a lead and, and then make changes. And then there's the West Ham game, which we will uh, discuss before the weekend. It will be another crucial Premier League game for United. Uh, thank you both. Thank you, Samuel and Ty, for your contributions today. No problem. Thank you very much. We'll be back uh, with another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for you very, very soon. Until then, leave a like and a subscribe and we'll be back again soon. Thanks for listening.